Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sells Podcast, podcast where a gaslighting manipulative comedian talks to a sexologist about all things uh, gender-related from a male and female perspective. We talk about dating, we talk about gender differences, talk about uh, what is appropriate to talk about in this day and age. Yes, My name is Neil, I'm the comedian. How are you, Eliza? Pretty good. Although I think that I want some descriptive words too. I just get sexologist. You get to have all the cool like... I'm a comedian who's also narcissistic and toxic. I can't remember if that's the words you just used. <laughs> Sorry if not. It's just a rotation. All the dark triad trades. Can't I get like a beautiful, amazing sexologist, Eliza, an enlightening spiritual goddess? Okay, we've got narcissistic sexologist. <laughs> no. With a, with a manipulative comedian. Okay, fine. All right. That's what it's going to be from now on. Shit. <laughs> um, very quick announcement. Uh, if you are living under a rock, uh, please look at the video Arrested by Friendly Geordies. I do another podcast with Jordan. Just look at that video. It's really important, especially if you're Australian. Uh, it's not about comedians going too far. It deals with our fundamental rights and civil liberties as Australian citizens. So please look into that and keep it in um, people's minds. Keep posting about it. Keep sharing it. Um, you can have whatever opinion on it. Talk about like, it with your therapist. Talk about it. Yeah, just talk Hash about it. Hash it out. Because uh, if Jordan's taught me anything, it's it's that the the media doesn't necessarily tell you what to think, but it tells you what to think about. And I want people to think about that. Oh, that's deep. Yeah. Because I'm that. a nut. Because I'm a. No, I'm the narcissist. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm just toxic. <laughs> just toxic. Yeah. What are all the dark triad traits? It's, it's narcissism, psychopathy. Some others. I can't remember. We were only looking at it like three weeks ago and now it's already it's left my mind. Well, next week I'll be the psychopathic comedian. Yeah, do that. Sociopathic comedian. Um, <laughs> if you're in Sydney, come check out my live show. Uh, go to neilandfriends.com. I know I've been saying this for a few weeks, but we are in the process of looking at v- venues all across Australia. And hopefully by spring... Uh, We'll be touring that show all across Australia, so stay tuned for that. If you have a question to ask us, go to neilkalhacker.com slash podcasts. Uh, For $30, we will answer a question on this podcast, and all the money will go straight to charity. Okay. Number 49. We're nearly there. Very exciting. Nearly at the half century. Yay. What have you been up to? Anything exciting? No, nothing at all, to be honest. (laughs) That was very blunt. Just so much work. Reading, work, reading, work. How's um, the uh, purchase of the house going? Oh, don't even ask me because I'm just getting, <laughs> I'm leaving it so late. We haven't even started packing. So, um, when's the, what do they call it? Whether there's that, uh, yeah, when's that occurring? That's in like 10 days. And you haven't packed? <clears throat> no. So, wow. Yeah, well, I was, I'm a bit nervous about it with my back, like doing anything or lifting. Maybe that's a, <laughs> my way of justifying it. <laughs> Just get Adrian to do it. Um, but I am a little bit nervous about lifting things because I did go back to yeah, the gym fair from last week and I've like screwed my back again. So again. Not as bad, not even half as bad, but it's annoying. Yeah. Backs are like the uh, drug addicted friend. Every time you think they're uh, on, on the recovered men. and yeah. on the men, they just get worse again. Isn't that fun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm dealing with the same thing. I uh, had a relapse with my uh, 
what is it, sciatica? I don't know oh, what the technical term is. Oh, the nerve thing? Yeah, 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 the bulging disc oh, a couple of weeks ago. And then yeah. I couldn't, for a day or two, I had to either just stand up or lie down. Yeah. And I realized you can actually do most things either lying down or standing up. Yeah, well, it's interesting because yesterday I was Googling it and I, when I first dislocated my shoulder in Feb and then in April I had that other incident with screwing my back and I kept being told, like, just lie down, like, sleep, lots of rest. And then on the internet it says the worst thing you can do is lie down and studies actually show that it prolongs the, your healing period by lying in bed and you're better to just move as much as you can. Yeah, this is so, now a chiropractor podcast. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a bad back, send us a question. Actually, speaking of, I watched a, um, a video, it was a TikTok, sorry, this morning from a guy who'd gone through like two or three years of um, chiropractic studies only to find out, in his opinion, I don't know how factual this is, that there's no actual evidence of it being helpful. You can't heal anything in your back with someone's hands it's one placebo and two because you go for two months and by the time two months have passed that's usually healed i have heard that yeah i have heard uh theories that it's an entire pseudoscience you wouldn't believe how much money i've thrown at those people and it's never really been something great for me but yeah very interesting i mean some sort of variation of a massage Maybe no. there's a big chiropractor. There's a, there's like a cabal of chiropractors that get together every year and, and, and they say, hey, this is the new massage technique that we're going to pretend is the yeah. uh, new way to, to heal back pain. I wish they gave it's massage. A, I hate that cracking. All a big feeling. scam. But I can see why it's placebo where you feel like, okay, so my back's cracked. Now I feel better. Like it's, it's one of the things that I can understand why people can – accidentally be healing themselves by hearing the back crack it's like you know when you're like i'm not having a good workout unless i'm sore the next day some people think that it's like the it's like the crystals yes (laughs) all placebo all placebo or is it hey anyway that's a a million dollar question (laughs) um but just really quickly a lot of injuries like that uh you you need to move the muscle or the tendon but without overusing it that's often the case. So uh, if you if you just sit down all day, yeah, your back's going to actually get worse. But yeah. if you do, um, you know, two hours of deadlifts, then it'll also get worse. You've got to just find <laughs> the right balance. At this point, it just hurts if I walk around the block. So <laughs> damn, I don't know. Swimming's really good. I can't swim because that's what's made. That's what made my shoulders dislocate oh so much because i can't i can't <laughs> do anything that makes me more flexible that's Damn, the thing you're an old woman uh, no i'm just too floppy i'm a fucking noodle um i'm a marshmallow noodle that's how i describe my body but like i just everything just dislocates because i'm too flexible which sounds fun but it's actually a curse and i highly do not recommend being hypermobile so strength well if you're flexible stop being flexible just stop all right stop stretching don't do yoga and don't swim. Tighten up those muscles. And don't do that either. What, <laughs> I'm not allowed to box. Oh, <laughs> Everything's so sad. Up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. Sorry about everyone just listening to my backstories again. <laughs> oh, they need to be filled in, 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 in on your <laughs> no personal one life. Cares so what's happening with that. the neighbor? Has she uh, been flirting I with your man anymore? I haven't seen her and I have Maybe she heard the podcast. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, God, that'd be awkward. No, I haven't seen her and I haven't haven't heard anything about her so but you know what is funny completely unrelated but it just pops into my head i was reading the comments on the um video that we or the podcast for the ick oh yeah 
did you read them? Because someone no. <laughs> someone said that, um, you know how you were talking about the Russian girl you took on a date and how she was like, oh, Australian men are not masculine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you like fully did her act and everything. And he was like, hey, Neil, that's my friend. And I sent this to her and she confirmed oh. <laughs> it was her. And he was like, but your, your interpretation of her or your imitation of her was spot on. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So she agrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's funny. Got to be careful about who we talk about. That's true. I do. But that was funny. Mm. I loved that. Crazy. Yeah, and I didn't. I wasn't very masculine in the bedroom that night either. I should probably admit to that. I didn't last very long. <laughs> Just setting the record straight here. <laughs> because otherwise, she's gonna come out and be like, "Well, you did this, you did that," and I'll be like, "Yeah, that's true. I didn't." Well, you didn't say anything bad about her. That you, you said, "Should we split the next round?" And she was like, "Ah, I see you are like Aust- yeah. are the Australian men." There you go. That's all you said. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I want to expose myself before yeah, I'm exposed. Okay. Oh, that's a compliment. Like, I just couldn't hold it in, so. You've got to be careful saying things like that because some, some young 18-year-old girl or 17-year-old will listen to that and then think, my boyfriend doesn't want me because he can last the whole 10 minutes, like. Well, that's not my problem. That's their interpretation of what I'm saying. Women, it's different for everyone. Um, sometimes it's very short. Sometimes it's very long. And. A lot of people worry about premature ejaculation, but technically, if it's more than um, 30 seconds of penetration, it's not considered to be premature. Oh, there you go. Then maybe it was normal then. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and if anyone is, although if it's 30 seconds, you can still seek help for it. But basically, if you're able to last two and a half minutes, that's considered almost average or normal. Um, so there you go. I'm slightly below average. (laughs) Good. Does that make you feel good? Get in, get out, you know? Get in, get out. That's the moral of the story. I'm a busy man. I've only got two minutes. (laughs) I'll put you in my schedule, 7 p.m. to 7.02, then leave. What should you do, actually, if, if, if a guy does, uh finish early mm-hmm. should you just then wait for like 20 30 minutes or should you keep going keep trying to what would the would the woman appreciate it if then you kept you know you, you used different body parts and you kept uh you kept going or i think it depends a lot of women are like that's fine if you finish just get me off um like mm. bring me to that as well but then some people are like, well, I don't want to do this when I know he's no longer in the mood and he's like finished and he's like, well, okay, I'll just do this. Like it feels like obligation. So I would just get the girl off first and then. Well, yeah, you're trying to do that. But Bob's sometimes it just. Well, well, if you can. If you can. Um, Damn, I'm just saying. I'll I'm go shit down. at sex. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we need some girls to write in about their sexual experiences with uh, Neil. So we can really truly analyze this. Um, but yeah, if you can. <laughs> it's very on and off, you know. It's just not consistent. Yeah, that's fine. But <laughs> if you can. I'm like one of work those sports stars that are just, you know, on their day can be. I'm like the Nick Curios of sex. Like on my day, I'm the best in the world. But like 90% of the time, I'm, I'm pretty shit. 
That's that's a fair, that's probably accurate for a lot of people as well. So you're not alone in that. And I should also clarify, I shouldn't say just get the girl off because a lot of women can't orgasm um, or struggle to orgasm with other people. And it's not that common, especially during penetration. So just ask her what she wants, be like, but make it sexy. Be like, how can I, what can I do for you right now? Like, oh, that's What not, can I do well, for you right now? Well, it's not very sexy. <laughs> like, what, it depends on the girl, like depends what she's into, whatever. So I'm sure... You, You'll figure it out. I've heard some girls actually don't uh, like it if the guy's just too obsessed with pleasing her without actually looking at his own sexual needs. Yeah. I mean, I think it's. I think that's quite uncommon. Um, but wow. it is common for guys to do that. A lot of the people I know um, or women I know that have sleeping around currently um, – and they're finding that they find it quite masculine that he's like, I'm going to do everything to you, everything to you. And then at the very last, like whatever section, I'll then penetrate and finish myself. But it was all focused on her and they loved it. Oh, they okay. loved it. Um, unless it's kind of like the only times that it can get overwhelming is when he's really like, let's do like an hour long session of foreplay, like um, pleasing you. And she's like, I'm four orgasms in. I'm my. I don't just don't put your dick near me now. Like remove it from this hemisphere. Um, <laughs> travel away. So one hour. Damn. Yeah. Some people. That's all. That's you may not have even been touched at that point. Like that's. I mean, for those guys that are really into just pleasing, pleasing, pleasing. All right. Pleasing. Like, so like a lot of yeah lead up. Yeah, and it's um, not an hour of penetration. No, no. Oh no. Can I say? Yeah, that's that's um, a lot. That is a lot. That that's hard to. <laughs> I was gonna say that's By hard to way, take. If you, but can, that... if you can hear that um, knocking, we did a widgie board before. We, and, uh, um... Yes, there's nothing we can do. Unfortunately, they're just the neighbours being very loud with their okay, the hammering. Yeah. And was... This is not a studio. It's just my apartment. I was trying to go down a different route, saying that we did a widgie board and the <laughs> demon knocking because you What's know how a they widgie... would. Oh. Oh, okay. You don't know what a witchy board is? Haven't you watched no. any horror ever? Is it like a voodoo doll or something? No. You- oh, my gosh. I've got some stories to tell you. I used to screw with that <laughs> shit when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but that'll with come up. With the crystals as well? Or? No, it's like a, you do a chant, right? Let me just tell you the, oh my God. the, the story. Okay, let me tell you the first time I ever did this, right? I was 13 years old and I was having a sleeper with my friends. There was like four five of us or four of us and we were in a we were in like not a a shed but it was like all done up like renovated with carpet and mm-hmm. beds and she's having a sleepover party and the girl was like let's do a widgie board i had no bloody clue what that is and they were like oh you talk to dead people and i was like this is weird but okay go on then like not believing it at all so they bring out this board it's got the alphabet on it numbers and then a yes and a no and you did this chant and we kept giggling about it and fucking around with it and then we started to see the thing move but then I was like someone could be moving it whatever like I didn't believe it until halfway through we were doing it um we were all really like engrossed in it like it was dead silent there it was a very tense like very serious and the fucking light bulb above us smashed like just smashed and we all really? screamed there was glass everywhere and the parents come running in and they were like okay well this is you're in a shed like it was just a crazy coincidence but you know that was a bit spooky um so the timing of that was odd um, and Gosh. then one of the girls went home crying because she said she had her, um, she had a blanket wrapped around her. And this was my 
best friend for like 10 years when I was a kid. She had a, um, like a doona wrapped around her and she's screaming and screaming for like 10 minutes because she said when the light bulb smashed, the blanket was pulled off her and she and no one admitted to doing it or whatever. She was like, I was over here on my own. No one was near me. Like it was this whole ordeal. Um, <laughs> really? So it was crazy. And then even. So do you believe that the spirits came and. Smash the light bulb and took you know the blanket what? off. I don't. Do I don't close my mind to anything. I don't have a rational explanation for it because. What spirits do you think? Do you think? Well, afterwards, when I was older, I did like a little bit of like I was looking into it out of curiosity, and then I find out that um, when they say that when you are taking the piss out of it and laughing, it it's like disrespectful and it responds in aggression. So I thought that was interesting that this... Um, so the spirits get triggered. Trigger, <laughs> triggered get by my toxic behavior. You're going to break the light bulb? Yeah. Don't like you disrespecting us? Honestly, I feel like I don't even want to joke about it. Just, you know, no. But I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things. I was like, that was a weird... It was a very distinct memory. It's not something that I blurred in my mind. We all talked about it like 10 years later. Um, but... When I was, saw my friend, we had kind of like, she was my childhood friend. We had a catch up little reunion hmm. um, like a year or two ago. And she was like, I swear to God, Eliza, like that it literally happened to me. I just got like pulled right off me. It was the most terrifying thing of my life. Like um, no one was near me. So she still thought as a 26 year old, that's what happened. So gosh, interesting. But anyway, that's what a Ouija board is, so I was saying. And they always say that, like, you know, when you do Ouija boards, one of the first signs of, like, a um, a bad spirit is, like, the knocking, like the – especially in threes, Ooh. like the Holy Trinity. So that's me, just to clarify. <laughs> Mia's like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> I'm going to keep triggering them. Yeah. No, I mean, I've got that comedian impulse. Uh, I hear someone's triggered. I'm like, oh, all there's right, actually, I'll keep um, going. I have to show it to you. There's a guy on on TikTok and you will like this because he says, throw me every single curse you can. Put voodoo dolls of me. Put like, give me tri um, widgie boards. I will try everything. And if something happens, fine. I'll admit that there is like yeah. um, an spiritual other world or whatever and so um he has like hundreds of videos of him like buying cursed dolls and he's like nothing happened he will like do really crazy things to them um i shouldn't say guy does crazy things to dolls he just like breaks them whatever and nothing happens he he's said people have cursed them nothing happens he gets witchy boards out nothing happens um i watched a live with him once though and he had a blackout during a witchy board and even he was like that was spooky, but I'm not convinced. So mm. um, interesting, but yeah. All right. Well, if you have a Ouija board for me, I'll give it a shot. Nope. I'm not doing that. I'm not even giving it to you. <laughs> you can buy it yourself. <laughs> Someone else send him a Ouija board. Um, when I was... Do it on me. Buy merch of mine or something and then do some voodoo and I'll, I'll let people know if uh, I receive any... Spirits. But someone has to tell you that it's going to happen. So otherwise, if you break your leg, we know that that's anyway. Don't involve me in that, please, anyone. Um, but I have one more little point to say on that. After that had happened, I was um, I had these friends and they lived up the central coast where my beach house was growing up. 
and I was, their dad was driving us somewhere and I was telling the girls like, oh, this crazy thing happened. I was telling that story about the light bulb smashing and her dad pulled over on the side of the road straight away, stopped the car and he turned around and he was like, do not fuck with me. Don't go near there. Like, don't ever do that again. You stupid girl. Like, and I was like, so shocked because I was one really shy as a kid and two he was the nicest dad ever and then he said he was like when I was 20 I did a widgie board and my friend died but right in front of me like well apparently she had an anaphylactic um shock like it was like a peanut allergy situation but it was the timing of it was just to it convinced him it was widgie damn anyway there I'm not go. saying I believe in it or not, but I will like keep an open mind. I'm, you know, I never close my mind off to anything. I just think I would rather just respect every kind of belief or consideration and so be it. And uh, I'm also, I have, I, I treat every belief and creed equally and I, I mock them all equally. <laughs> and you want so logic. <laughs> it's, it's all very equal. Yeah, it's the empirical So I'm not proof. actually racist because I make fun of every race. That's really nice of you. I know. Yeah. I should get more credit. Yeah. I deserve a Nobel Peace Prize. You you really for my equal treatment yeah. of everything. You should apply and um yeah, can you try. apply? Can you just apply for the Nobel I don't Prize? Know. I think you <laughs> should I've got some write. references. I worked at Marcus for a few months. They said I was good. <laughs> Imagine that. Listen to my This is an online show. application. <laughs> I don't know. Can, can you send in some references? I'll send them this podcast. <laughs> yeah, do it. Damn. <laughs> okay. Well, after that little uh, interesting foray <laughs> into uh, Ouija boards, we are going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about meaningful conversations. Uh, this was meaningful. Subjective. <laughs> so we're specifically going to talk about how to have meaningful conversations, and I assume this will generally generally relate to having meaningful meaningful conversations with a romantic partner mm-hmm. but we won't uh, restrict it to that either so what was the what was the light bulb moment what made you want to talk about this um well i was thinking about i reconnected with um an old friend of mine recently where back in the day i used to work when i was like 17 or 18 i used to work in westfield the shopping center and which one uh, Ringer Mall oh, okay. as concierge. So if you ever got directions from someone, may have been me. And I didn't know where anything was, so <laughs> apologies. But anyway, um, one day we had to do this kind of promotion thing. So they sent in these random people to come do promotions with us. We had to spend like a day with two other people. And I did one day and then my friend who's – very much like me, same age, whatever, did the next day. And um, we were t- she was telling me about her conversations that we had um, with these people that we were doing the promotions with. They were strangers. And she was like, oh, like, it was cool. Like, he was really nice. Like, we talked about study, blah, blah, blah. Like, what did you talk about? And I was like, oh, we had this crazy, like, seven-hour conversation about, like, life, sex, death, our phobias, fears, parents. And she was like, how do you do that with someone that you just met? Anyway, this came up again recently the other day when we were talking about it. So I kind of was like, it's not something that – for some people it comes naturally 
And for others, it it doesn't. And a lot of people have kind of anxiety around how do you go deep in a conversation? Like, how do you know what's too personal to ask? Or how do you start a deep conversation rather than just walking up to someone and being like, what's your biggest fear kind mm. of thing or seeming abrupt with that? So that's kind of what made me think about it. And also I had someone message me and he's um, from, he listens to this podcast and he says that he, he's on the spectrum and he really just doesn't know how to converse or read these kind of things. So he wants to know about that too. And I was like, well, your wish is my command. (laughs) Here Mm. we are. Well, it's very significant, isn't it? To be able to have those sorts of deep conversations with people that you're close to, because Mm. that's how you uh, increase the closeness and become more connected with each other. What strategies do you have if someone was struggling with something like that? Yeah. What would you recommend? Well, I think it's a good point that you make about it's kind of one of those things that gets you closer to people because a lot of people struggle with just having surface level conversations constantly. And I actually sometimes struggle bonding with people where I can't pull them out of or pull conversation out of them or go kind of deep belief beneath the surface level. So I struggle with that, like feeling like I've connected with them. Um, but I think that one of the first things that I would recommend or say is that we always go on about how it's really important that you maintain eye contact and things like that. But I disagree. I think that when you have deep conversations, you don't need to stare someone in the eyes. I think that it can actually be an intimidating Mm. or vulnerable situation like at work when we work with teenage boys in particular, or often just men and we need to have a really serious conversation about something or mm. talk to them and they're not if they're not opening up we always say get them in the car so when they're driving or you're driving they always open up because they're not looking at you and they have a reason to look away they can look at like what's like what they're focusing on and driving so it's not like they're like just avoiding eye contact if we were like sitting at a cafe and they're looking away but it's really interesting yeah. for some reason i uh whenever i envision men, particularly uh, stereotypical hardened men, opening up and being vulnerable. It's always that they, they, they have to be doing something. Yeah. They're either in a car, they're driving, they're working on something. That's interesting. They're doing some sort of uh, trade work. Yeah. Yeah. But I can never imagine two men just sitting side by side, having a coffee, opening up. Exactly. Exactly. Maybe over a bit, maybe over a couple of beers. Yeah. But that's such a stereotype, isn't it? And that's why they say for men in particular, um, gardening is really, really good, especially when you do it together. It's like one of the best things you can do for your mental health, probably because you actually offload a lot of your like just conversationally while you're gardening. So get in the garden. Oh, and there's something very uh, enriching about Earth. quite literally fostering life. Yeah, being grounded. Yeah, I, I, I think well, flora is uh, nature's art. You're being you're it's deep beautiful. today. Well, <laughs> as you know, I have a million houseplants. Oh, so yes. Here you go. Here's a meaningful conversation. Yes. I really uh, can't say enough good things about gardening. And I know it's a stereotypical basic white girl trait, but I uh, I love it. Yeah, you literally have like a billion plants in here and they're all thriving. Nothing calms me more than do you have to change the soil of all of them? Or do you just can you just water them and let them be? You should change the soil. I have a soil improver and things like that. But eventually, after a couple of years, you should change the soil, yeah. Wow. And uh, when you propagate new plants, it's, it's, it's quite rewarding. I mean, you, it's almost like having children in a weird way. <laughs> Equally it's satisfying. Not the, <laughs> not the same, but 
<laughs> yeah, you're uh, very marginally increasing the life that exists on this planet. That's deep. That's deep. That's what you're doing, quite literally. It's not spiritual or anything. That is actually what you're doing. And yeah, I, uh, I love gardening. But anyway, let's come back to meaningful conversations. Uh, how can you read a person and, and guess what they would actually prefer within a given conversation? Because for some people, if, if, if you open up and come on too strong, it can be mm -hmm. off-putting and they the might flag. think uh, lowly of you then. But for some people, they actually want that. And if it's just continuous small talk, they will grow tired of the conversation. And yeah. I'm sure that differs from person to person. So what are some maybe some cues or some signs that you can read while uh, talking to someone, particularly a stranger, um, and gauge whether or not to open up or, or, or to ask them deeper, more vulnerable questions? I think that even just aside from meaningful conversations but having conversations in general, the best tip I could ever give someone is that when someone, if you ask someone and I'm like, how's your weekend? And you say, good, I went surfing. And instead of me being like, oh, that's cool. And then you say, how's your weekend, Eliza? And I'm like, good, I went shopping or whatever. I lean into what you've said. So I ask you a follow-up question about that. I'm like, oh, where did you go surfing? Like, or when did you start doing that? And you might say like, oh, when I was eight kind of thing. Like mm. my dad used to take me out. And I'd be like, oh, so like, is your dad still into that? And then you're breaching into a conversation about your dad all of a sudden. Um, and then you keep kind of breaching into that so lean into what people are saying rather than just asking them a completely separate new conversation. So don't be like, how are you? Oh, good. And what did you do today? Oh, cool. Yeah, that's nice. And and how, like, what's going on for you this week or how are you feeling? Like, no, just like ask one question and just trail down from that one answer and ask a question about that answer more and more and more. And then you'll find this kind of like, you basically unpeel it to something beautiful, I find. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah, I think you should take a, a deep interest in other people and be as inquisitive and curious as you can. Yeah. And the hard part is, sorry, is, um, and a lot of women do this in particular. Well, everyone does, but particularly women is they instantly relate it to themselves. So you say, oh, I went surfing. And I'll be like, oh, I love surfing. Like I actually did this, blah, blah, blah. Like I went surfing last weekend and this happened and whatever. Um, mm. Which to a lot of people, they interpret it as that is how we're having a good conversation. But it's not. It's taking the attention away from someone. You're barely validating it, but you're making it about your yourself almost. Mm. Um, and, and that's how some people connect. And because exactly. it's a way to engage with another person to have that likeness. But yeah. uh, if someone does that to you, you have to realize that they're probably not being selfish. You know, yeah. my... Uh, gut impulse is to say this person's selfish. Why are they making themselves the focal point of the conversation? But mm. again, after reading that wonderful book, which I always talk about, Why Him, Why Her, this is a negotiator trait. Yeah. And it's a way to connect with yeah. other people. Yeah. And funnily enough, I posted a, a, a skit a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you've probably seen it if you if you have been following me on socials. It's just this format that you'd see on panel shows back in the day where it's things – you can say in the bedroom and also at a, on a sports field or whatever. And one of them was um, things girlfriends should say more often. And uh, oh. one of my lines was, uh, thank you for opening up. I won't make it about me. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Relating to that, right? That's crazy. And yeah. so many people were pressed in the comments. But right. what I found really uh, interesting was a, a lot of 
women in the comments were asking, I don't understand that. What do, what does that mean? Mm. What are you talking about? It Because the men in the audience and in the comments clearly had a very strong reaction to it. They, as so, in, in ag- men agreed? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of agreement. And so uh, a lot of women seemed to be inquiring about it. Yeah. A few were getting upset, but I thought that was really nice. First of all, they were trying to figure out what that meant, and that's essentially yeah, what it exactly. meant. It's not saying, oh, you're selfish, but there's just a different way of engaging and connecting with people. And, yeah, as you say, it's not always, uh, not every woman mm. talks like that, and a lot of men talk like that, mm. but if we're talking generally here, it's because that's usually what occurs. Women talk like this to one another typically because let's say like majority of women fall into gossiping and it is a very female trait because that's how we connect by sharing information about one another. So you share something vulnerable, I'll share something vulnerable and that's how we develop a bond. And also when you gossip about someone where I'm like, oh, I try not to gossip at all. But if I was like, oh, I'm really struggling when like this person said this to me at work, blah, blah, blah. And then your coworker is like that you're talking to is like, oh, yes, she did that to me as well. Like she's making it about herself, but it's also reassuring my anxiety that what I said was okay because Mm. she's in agreement. So it is kind of like this hard thing um, to navigate. But when the deeper you go into a conversation and more meaningful, the more – um, I guess, of an issue that becomes. Like I'll never forget when I worked with um, this girl who was 17 and she was uh, a survivor of sexual assault and mm. we assigned her someone to work with who was essentially like a caseworker or therapist type role. And the caseworker said to her when she was opening up about her own sex, when the child was opening up about her sexual assault, the caseworker said, I, I relate to this so much. Like I went through that as well. Like I was raped by a- ABC, like this, I'm so sorry. Like that's what happened to me. And then that child later came to me and was like, that was the most overwhelming conversation I've ever had when I had just opened up for the first time about my sexual assault. And then this random 45 year old woman is talking to me about time that she was raped and what she did to overcome it and how because she drank alcohol and then I basically ended up having to support her. Like that was my time. So that kind of really stuck into Gosh. my mind. Yeah. What do they teach you when you do your therapy course uh, for a situation like that? Because I've gone to, I went to therapy a few years ago for this, well, sex therapist, funnily enough. <laughs> and the same thing kind of happened. Really? Were they self-disclosed? Well, it, wasn't, it wasn't nowhere near as significant an issue that we were talking about, but uh yeah. She started talking about how she felt insecure because of her body and uh, she wanted to be more attractive and lose weight. And, and I thought, no, I'm the one <laughs> yeah. giving you therapy. I don't like this. I'm not paying for this. Exactly. And especially in that setting, you're like, how do I respond? Like, do I say, no, you're beautiful. Like, she's my therapist kind of thing. It's so – it's that's you get taught not to do that. Um, but a lot of people do that because – being a therapist is very different to being uh, having a deep and meaningful conversation with someone. Mm. Um, so therapists should never self-disclose. And if your therapist is, it's it could be quite inappropriate unless you've been working with them for five years and they're disclosing basically like, oh, I just went shopping with my husband at Ikea, like something very basic that's appropriate and all okay. Mm. But when you self-disclose about yourself, 
it's not at all appropriate. It's not helpful. Like even just um, at my work, there was a, um, a worker who said to her um, a parent basically that, you know, she understands what the girls are going through, the children that we were talking about because this worker, oh, I also had social anxiety growing up. And the parent was like, well, they don't have social anxiety. Like this, this is nothing related to that. Like mm. nothing at all to do with social anxiety. So it kind of backfired on her a lot. And that that um, that parent didn't want anything to do with her going forward or con- conversing about it anymore because she's like, this isn't about social anxiety and I don't need to hear about your mm. social anxiety kind of thing. And you lose trust in someone who is supposed to be the expert. If yeah. they're sitting there talking about the problems they have now, everyone's yeah. infallible, right? Yeah. They, they, I'm sure they have problems, but that's not the context to talk about it, yeah. I don't think. exactly. Maybe some people, for some pay, uh, clients, mm-hmm. uh, it would be uh, a way to um, uh, increase the, the, the bond and the closeness. Yeah. But I didn't like it when it happened to me. Now, this can be this might be quite confusing for some people listening who actually struggle to have meaningful conversations because... Mm-hmm. One point we're saying open up, be vulnerable, talk about yourself, but then we're also saying, oh, but but don't make it all about yourself. Mm-hmm. So, how do you find that line? I over the last year or two, what I've tried to do, rather than dismiss people who open up and and um, start being emotionally vulnerable in what I would consider a very sort of shallow relationship, maybe I've just met them or they're a friend or an acquaintance. I wouldn't necessarily relate it to me, but I'd ask deeper follow-up questions than mm. just, oh, that must suck. Yeah. Or what was that like? I'd be like, damn, that must yeah. feel terrible. Tell me, how did you react to something like that? Because it's not something I'm putting on either. I think um, figuring out someone's emotional reactions, particularly to traumatic mm. events, tells them a lot about who they are as a person. Exactly. And it's extremely insightful. And I'm interested in figuring out who this person really is. Mm. So I want to know, okay, how did you... How did that make you feel? How did you react to something like that? Um, I want to figure out where their values are. Mm-hmm. So that's a tip that's helped me. Exactly. Purely anecdotal. But what uh, other advice might you have to people who um, maybe uh, overthink or question when mm-hmm. to start being vulnerable or to how vulnerable they should be? Yeah. All those sorts of uh, questions. I think that... You're on the money when you say to lean into it more when people start opening up. And a, like a really good example, trigger warning, I'm about to talk about suicide for like one minute, um, that when someone says, I'm feeling suicidal, and even if you as the listener or the therapist or just person had also experienced suicidal thoughts or attempts or things like that, you don't say, I've been through that too, man. Like, it's rough. You don't say that or make it a tell your story. You will say, you can say, like, um, I'm sorry to hear you're going through that, man. It's rough. So kind of the similar um, motion. And you can also ask questions. A lot of people are like, I don't want to ask, you know, two personal questions. But we're always taught, actually, if you do any kind of suicide first aid, um, suicide intervention, anything like that, you're always taught to ask when did these thoughts start for you? Do you have a plan in place? What is this plan? Like those kind of things. Like you can lean into that conversation more and ask them questions that are so in-depth in and personal. And when you come from a place of curiosity, 
it is very like it makes that person feel safe. Um, so when if a child discloses to me that they use drugs, I don't go like shit, man, drugs are that's bad don't do that I'd be like oh and when did you start using them what are you using how much okay and like how does that make you feel like what do you do if this happens like is there someone you call if it's too much that kind of uh, conversing is really useful although that being said drug addiction counseling is one of the few scenarios where it's actually deemed appropriate for a counselor to say I've been through this because often Mm. drug addiction counselors have come through that themselves. Um, so that's, that is like probably the one time where it's okay to share that because it kind of is solidarity. Like you've gone through it, I've gone through it. But for anything else, I wouldn't recommend it. But what you can do, if you really want to share a set, shared experience, like I've been watching The Bachelorette and I oh know, because I- could <laughs> <laughs> just jump from- <laughs> These intellectual conversations and then just go into TikTok or The Bachelorette. Because is the evidence. they're relevant <laughs> references. And um, I can't remember her name. It's like, I don't know. The but Bachelorette's not on. Which Are you I'm watching, watching the American, repeat? Oh, the American, American. One. I was going to say, if you were watching repeats of the Australian yeah. ones, you are obsessed. And, uh, no. And she, her dad, her dad has passed away. Mm-hmm. And, um... She will say to someone, like, my dad passed away and then she might be crying and be like, sorry, this was really intense for me. Like, it just reminded me of my dad. And then the other person straight away is like, oh, I get that. My dad died too. Like, when I was this year's old, like, this is what happened. Like, it was the hardest thing. And then she's crying about her dad. Now she's all of a sudden having to support you um, and be like, oh, because he's Mm. then getting upset. So the way to kind of go about this, if you want to share that, I think it's great to share that, um, you know, especially if you have a similar traumatic experience in your life, it's it's normal that you'd want to share that about yourself too. But help her through that. Help her go through that cycle and or him of, well, in this scenario, when she was the first one to disclose about her dad passing away. Talk about that with her. Talk about the memory that upset her, that reminded her of it. Talk about that, like kind of go through that. And when that conversation is like, you can see it's like nearing an end or she's talked or said everything she needs to say, then you can say like, just also just so you know, like this, that actually happened to me as well. Rather than that being your first initial response, hear that person's story first then say yours or wait a couple of days and then say yours. Um, and a lot of us who hear about mental health in particular, when someone's like, oh, I've been going through this, our initial instinct is to say, oh, I've gone through anxiety or I've gone through depression or, or this, this and this, I get it. And it's not often that helpful because that person is likely to say, oh, what was that like for you? And then you all of a sudden you're sharing your story when they were the one that was said, I'm feeling like this for the first time in my life. I don't know what to do. Mm. Um, so just be really careful not to kind of fall into that trap. Yeah. Ask them follow-up questions. Don't necessarily make statements. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I think if, you, if you're just interested in finding out who someone really is, and by that I mean what their true character is, what they value, maybe even what their psychological makeup might be, what sort of traits they have, you would just naturally ask these questions anyway. Yeah, just be curious about everything. That's because the in, way to be. Exactly. In a very uh, emotionally significant point in our lives, that's where 
that's where our true character shows. Yes. Not on social media, not what we're posting about. When we're uh, under stress mm-hmm. or uh, experiencing trauma, that's when who you really are comes out. Well, I mean. Wouldn't you agree? No, absolutely not. I wouldn't say, like, I wouldn't, if someone yelled at me and then um, when they were okay, Maybe not stressed, trauma, okay, stressed. Even then, and then they'd be like, sorry, like I was such a dick last night. I was so overwhelmed. I would know that that's not the real then. But I see what you mean. It's when you're in the most vulnerable state, the most raw, authentic sometimes state. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure, okay, we're not, like I've said on previous podcasts, you shouldn't judge people based on a a one-off reaction when they're experiencing something. I'm talking about maybe a Mm longer-term period in their life where they're struggling. I think that's where you figure out who you really are. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like to think that from struggle comes self-awareness and growth. And one of the things that I often think about is, I can't remember where I read this quote. It was years ago, but it was like at your funeral, no one remembers or talks about how successful you were or what you did in your life, blah, blah, blah. What they what they remember about you after your death is how you made them feel. So... I think by offering, being from a place of curiosity at all points, like even if I had a huge fight with my best friends, which I haven't, but let's say an ex-boyfriend, if we were in a fight, I'm always just curious. Like I'm just like, okay, like what was what was going on for you here? Like why, what's made you really upset? That kind of thing. Rather than being emotional, being curious, and you get a much truer understanding of where someone's at. Um, so I think that that's a really, really good point. It also takes out the ego of yourself because the reason why we're so like lurching forward to say, well, I've, I've gone through this or this, that's our ego coming forward. Um, and our ego wants us to connect with people. It wants us to build bonds. And that's why it's like, share this, share this. And it's kind of like in your mind, but that's something that we need to keep in check because if you're, if someone's telling you your story, their story, and your mind is filled with, here's what I'm going to say next. Like, here's how I'm going to respond as soon as she's finished talking and I validate it, then I'm going to tell her this or whatever. That's that's from a state of ego. Whereas mm. if you're curious and you just take your own opinion out of it and just be like, I'm just going to lean into this more, that's where you develop the good conversations. Mm. How do you initiate a meaningful conversation with someone who is closed off? Well, that's... Maybe you're dating someone for a, for a couple of months and, and mm-hmm. they haven't really exposed much about themselves. Maybe they don't have much to expose. Mm. But... You don't want to prod them. You don't want to force them into it. How do, how do you help that occur naturally? I have a few thoughts on this. Um, first of all, it depends on if they're closed off or if they're shy and introverted because I definitely surround myself with a lot of shy people. I don't know what it is. I think it is actually that I find that shy people or introverted people because they're much more um, – withdrawn or or going inwards rather than outwards that often I do have these really deep conversations with them more than I would with someone that's super extroverted um so I've my best friend's shy my boyfriend's shy like a lot of people I surround myself with are quite introverted um so they're easy to open up but with their withdrawn yes sorry well I was just gonna say introverted and shy aren't the same thing so yeah shyness is just someone who might feel a bit maybe insecure or can't Mm. be themselves fully around people or in a given situation. An introvert may not be shy, but for them to recharge mentally, they just need to be alone. Yes. That's all it really is. It's all about how you charge. Yeah. Yeah. If you're you're feeling stressed or overwhelmed, 
Uh, what helps you? Being alone or being around people? If you like being around people and that makes you feel better, you're an extrovert. If you like being alone, like me, then you're an introvert. It's really confusing though because when when I go through this as well though, when I think about that because I'm – people will always look at me and think she's, she's so extroverted and – I'm one of those people that I'm like, as soon as I'm like done with my day, I don't want to do anything. I want to be alone. I don't even want to talk to like literally anyone. If I'm stressed, I want to be alone. Might blah, be blah, blah. Then. But then you look at my my boyfriend and he's the shyest person I know. He's so shy and he's so introverted and he likes to just spend a lot of time on his own. He's cool with that. But whenever he's like going through something or if he's had a tough day he's like I need to surround myself by someone like he's like let's like let's cuddle or let's do this or let's go here let's do this together maybe he actually could be the extra he could be shy but extroverted (laughs) yeah and you could be very outgoing but introverted but at the same point he avoids social I don't know so who knows but it is introvert like introverted interesting Mm. um about that but if someone is closed off you have to tread carefully because you might be pushing them to open up about something they don't want to open up about. Um, and you may be trying to kind of get something out of them and often they just don't they don't want to talk. They don't like feel comfortable with that. You don't know what they've gone through and there's a reason they're not talking about it or opening up or whatever. But what I find is I often will just ask like, oh, like, hey, like, I noticed that you were kind of like, you looked a bit sad the other day. Like, are you, are you okay? Like those kind of things. Talking about observations you've made of them isn't usually offensive. And if it's incorrect, them correcting you being like, oh, no, no, I, like I wasn't sad. I was actually just having like this really intense um, like pain because of this injury or whatever. Then you can be like, oh, what happened? And then you can kind of delve into the, like a deeper conversation. So coming from a place of like, I observed this about you. Like um, sometimes I will, when someone looks a little bit like, even if they have resting bitch face, I might not know if they're just chilling. But I often find myself asking people like, hey, you look a bit like up down. Are you okay? Like, is anything going on? And Half of the time there is, and I'm right, and they will say like, oh, yeah, this is going on. And half the time they're like, no, I was just chilling. I'm actually fine, Mm. blah, blah, blah. But why do you think that kind of thing? And and then it leads into a conversation. So it's always good, I think. Another important point to make, which uh, would relate to men more than anything, is uh, if someone is opening up and talking about their problems, don't always just try and solve them. Yes. Don't just offer solutions immediately because that can come across as a bit I wouldn't say rude, but uh, they don't want it. People don't want well, to hear that. Because egotistical, like, if anything. Yeah. Oh, okay, here are your problems. Let me tell you how to solve them. Now, if they ask, yeah, that's a different yeah. situation. Um, and if they've continually spoken about certain problems, maybe it is time to start offering helpful suggestions. But if it's the first time someone might be opening up, especially with with men who, as we all know, don't open up very often. Uh, the best thing to do is just listen. Yes. Listen, ask follow-up questions. Validate. Delve in deeper. Yeah, validate. <laughs> Acknowledge. And don't judge. Yeah. That's such a cliche, but it's, it's very true because as soon as there's judgment, they're not going to open up again. Yeah, there's, there's lots of good points you said there because men tend to be more solution-focused. So mm. that's often how um, – when you think about like the male brain, like I guess like the stereotypes of the male brain is that they 
they compartmentalize. So there's, okay, this thing, here's a problem. Here's how we like solve it. And that will be the outcome. And Mm accessing one point of their brain whereas in the the stereotype of the female brain is every single component of their brain is constantly lit up and they're going zing 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 and then they're like talking and going yada 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 um and they don't process <laughs> things the same way so basically that's the scientific explanation that's the zing is women um and I find it that I actually, I'm a very open person. I'll share a lot of things with people, but I don't go to people with my issues much ever because I find it draining when people list their solutions to me. Like, my God, the amount of people when I would talk about my back injury that would be like, okay, you really need to go to my Russian chiropractor and then bring that up to me five times. And then this person's like, Mm. no, 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 it's the you need to see this physio, you need to do this. Okay, every single night have a hot bath, Epsom salts. No, 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 my boss is telling me like, no, you need to see an osteopath. Like it was so draining to me that everyone was trying to like solve it and then they'd be following it up being like, did you try this? And I'm like, girl, I'm paying a thousand dollars a week trying all the shit that everyone's telling me to do. I find Mm. that stuff really, really draining to me. And I often find that when I open up about something, like if I'm going through something and then people are like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? I'm just like, okay, this conversation has drained my energy and it's made me feel worse than it has made me feel like I've lifted, like I've got a burden off my shoulder. Like I'd so much rather if someone just responded and was like, oh my gosh, that's that's fucking tough. Mm sorry to hear that like let me know if i can do anything or like how are you going that kind of thing is much more impactful than um have you tried this or what because the the at the end of the day we already know the solutions most of the time to our problems girls will complain about well my girlfriends might complain about you know i shop too much or i spend too much money and And we might not need empathy for those kind of things being like, oh, that's so tough. You poor thing. You shop so much. Oh, gosh. But we also don't need a solution. Like, have you tried a budget? Like, yes, I'm I'm 30 years old or whatever. I know what a budget is and I know how to do that. It's just kind Mm. of like as simple as a girl, I feel you or like that kind of just acknowledge it is much more powerful. Um, And Mm. then my friend's boyfriend. Um, he falls into the trap of- Let me tell you how to solve all this. Yeah, exactly. That's what he does all the time. (laughs) So now he says to her, when she goes to him about something, he's like, are you seeking acknowledgement and validation or are you seeking a solution? I like that. I like that. Because he can't identify himself. That's a good tip. That's what you should do. Just bloody ask them. It's very natural for a lot of men to just go into um, problem solver mode. Yeah. I do it. Can't help it. Uh, And sometimes you have to just realize what you're doing and, and take a step back and think, oh, okay, no, she doesn't actually want this right now. Or he it yeah. could even be a guy. He doesn't want this right now. Yeah, I do that I do that all the time as well. It's, it's very much an instinct for me, especially when people say, like, I've got an issue to do with, like, sex or my relationship. I'm like, okay, I know exactly what you need to try. Like, this is how you can overcome this or have you tried this? And sometimes they're like, yeah, you know, like, well, actually people usually enjoy that. But And maybe they're telling me that specifically because they want, support but it is something that i have to pull myself in and think like i'm gonna wait until they ask me or if and see if they ask me for a solution or an idea and then i will share that with them definitely yeah Yeah. that makes a lot of sense that's great advice Mm -hmm. um another thing i would i would add to uh be able to initiate meaningful conversations is try and figure out what someone's passionate about 
Because if you direct the conversation towards what someone's passionate about, they will always speak candidly and meaningfully about yes. whatever they're passionate about. Now, what you may be passionate about could be very different to what they're passionate about. So don't try to force it out of them by talking about what you're passionate about. But mm. you can pick up on cues. Even on a, even if you're speaking to a stranger, they might start getting emotional. And when I say emotional, I don't mean sad necessarily, but stressed or frustrated about something that they're talking about. And then you see, okay, that's something that they're they're clearly having an emotional reaction to this particular topic. Let's delve deeper into uh, into this. Yeah, and that's a way to 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 get people to um, so not necessarily true. open up, but 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 speak deeply about whatever that it is that they may be passionate about. It's also one of those things that, as a communicator, we have to not even just reading other people, but we have to be conscious of the cues that we share to other people like I know that my with myself I'm always giving cues to people that you can talk to me like you can share this with me or you can keep talking about this with me because I'll be like nodding or or being like talking animatedly so they're like okay this is something she's interested in like as soon as I start talking especially about sex and relationships like my god my level of speed of conversation and my volume doubles in both aspects Mm -hmm. um because I always get excited or whatever um yeah, so those are the things that if you just talk about something and you are stonewalling your own self, even if you're talking about something you're passionate, if you're not kind of communicating that with your body, mm. it it's hard for the other person to read. Um, and I see this a lot in my work because I work most majority of the people I work with have um, experienced really severe and significant trauma in their lives. Mm. So they are automatically either one way too forward or often just very closed off, hard to read and hard to understand and also very hypervigilant. So when I'm talking to them about something and I'm coming in from the place as a professional, not like a friend or, or a random, and they, I'm asking them, can you, can you tell me a little bit about this or can you share your story about this? They will say a little sentence and then they pause and they read me. And if I'm just silent, like kind of letting them finish or say their whole story, they instantly want to shut down. So I've developed this habit and now I've accidentally carried it into basically every conversation where as soon as someone is pausing or taking a breath or or finishing a statement, I'm like, mm, or I'm nodding very enthusiastically because it's something I picked up at work that if I wasn't encouraging them mm. constantly, the second I was quiet and still, that conversation was done. That person no longer wants to open up. Okay. So, and I noticed that when I started this, like even this podcast with you, and I still fall into it a lot, that when you're saying things I agree with or um, you're going like talking a lot, I'm still always like, mm, yeah, like, yep. And you just hear my little voice in the background being like, yeah, <laughs> constantly. Yeah, and well, I, had, I do that. Yeah. And I had to think like, no, you don't though. You will always just wait and then say, yeah, I agree. I say yeah quite a bit. No, listen, honestly, I oh, always, okay. I pay attention to it because I'm like, fuck, I say yes so much or mm, so much, but it's something that I had to pick up to make other people feel comfortable at work. You know what I found just listening to to these podcasts my God, sorry, that was, what I was, was that? my Apple. The Ouija board. <laughs> Siri just, just brought went, back the spirits. spoke from my watch. <laughs> what did it say? She said, try again. Get that. Could you try again? Spooky. Sorry, Siri. Turn off Siri. Okay. 
other on the other side. Like Siri's going to get her revenge on all of humanity. Um, what was I talking about? You said. Yeah, so if you want to work on your conversational skills, honestly, ask a friend if they don't mind recording a conversation with you and then listen back to it. Yeah. And you'll pick up on so many little foibles yeah. and things that you'll cringe at, but mm. they are things you can work on. I know I say like a lot. Mm. So does everyone who's in their 20s. Uh, but I've worked on that immensely and I, I hope people would notice a difference from when I started the podcast to now. I still say it and I cringe when I say it. When I'm, when I'm speaking passionately or if I'm tired, I'll revert back to saying it a lot mm. and I don't like it. Same. I, I said it again, but I said it in the right context. <laughs> I do that as well. When I talk passionately about things, I forget to be... I'm no longer conscious of things. And I often find that my equivalent of like is saying kind of mm. or, or that kind of thing or something like that, like at the end of my sentence, rather than just saying the sentence as a sentence, I kind of soften it mm. with a kind of like I just said then. Um, so that's something that I'm aware of. And I remember when I started, um, when I did my relationship counseling um, degree and we had to do counseling and record hours of it and listen back. One of the feedbacks I got, which was so, so helpful to me was that when I was starting, I was like ending all my kind of sentences like this. Like I was always ending them kind of on a higher note. And by mm. doing so, I was making myself sound much younger and kind of more immature like that. Um, and when I'm excited mm. or like really in, in depth in a conversation. I do find myself doing that sometimes, but by mm. making my sentences end on a lower or equivalent note, it totally changed the outcome of my therapy with the patients or, or clients because I was getting taken more seriously. Whereas prior, I was always getting asked like, girl, how old are you? Like, <laughs> interesting. how young are you? Are you experienced? Like, have you studied anything prior? That kind of thing. So do you think women subconsciously uh, make their voice higher to appear a certain way? And similarly, do you think some men subconsciously try and make their voice deeper yes. to appear a certain way? I think that <laughs> women aren't making their – women do raise their voice another octave when they're trying to flirt. So I would talk more like this maybe if I was being super mm. flirty, for example. And men do that subconsciously as well. However, when it comes to the raising the note at the, I can't remember what it's called. What's the word? It like inflection or something like Tambre is uh, no. Tambre of your voice. I can't remember when you raise your voice Frequency. at the end of a sentence, but it's not a question. Um, first of all, it's it's very common for Australians to do it, and oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and secondly, for women in general to do it because it's a way of almost accommodating to whoever you're speaking to. Like it's not threatening, and I'm kind of gonna do this like bring in a very vulnerable feminine aspect at the end to make sure you feel comfortable and you're not intimidated. So if if you're, okay. let's say you're my boss and you're like, okay, do this. And I'll be like, Neil, I'm not doing that. I'm not happy with it. Or I could be like, oh, I'm not going to have you with that. Like, I'm a little bit nervous about mm. that. First it's one was way less- markedly more authoritative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And women don't have been kind of conditioned to be less confronting with those things, like historically. Mm. So that is something that is- and almost usually a, a it's either youthful or feminine thing. Yeah. Uh, you have to be okay with annoying people. Yeah. And, and just being 
don't be be fear to be called a psycho woman because you just say your how you're feeling whereas when men say like nah i'm not doing that like you'll be like oh dickhead but righto kind of thing whereas girls like i'm not doing that it's all of a sudden like oh my god she's a stubborn psychopath like that's often i think it's changed a lot in the last five years but prior maybe we'd make a lot of outcomes and it's just things about language and that's why they say the same with women saying kind of or like have you seen how there's all these viral videos about how women send a work email compared to males and it would be like a man would be like hey suzanne drop those files at my desk when you're ready thanks bob and then the women would write the same email being like, hi, Suzanne, I was just wondering, would it be possible if you could please um, drop those files just when you have time? Really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Mm. Suzanne, oh, her also name, a oh, different name, other than Suzanne. Um, so that kind of like constantly accommodating to make sure that you're not displeasing someone. Yeah. It's very interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. So. I know that is uh, primarily an issue a lot of women might have to deal with but that's something i or here i am (laughs) relating it to me but uh i definitely dealt with that when i was younger which i just didn't want i i couldn't handle people disliking me yeah and i tried to appease everyone yeah and it comes from when i worked on my self-worth and general confidence i improved on that a lot Mm. so it's as simple as you have to be okay with pissing people off sometimes. Exactly. You have to stand up for what you believe in and what you think is fair. And now there's a extreme end of that where you become a tyrant. So you have to find the balance. <laughs> Just don't be too bad. <laughs> don't be an asshole. Yeah. And people will actually lose respect for you if you're too accommodating. Mm. So, yes, there is the... The person who is uh, maybe too forthright or uh, just uh, incessantly forward, that people can lose respect for that sort of a person. Uh, But they probably get more of what they want, so it's better for them. But then if you're just, if you just offer too much clemency and you let people walk over you, people will lose respect for you and you won't get what you want either. Mm. So you you want to find that balance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that's also something that I've been working on in my boss um, when I was promoted to like manage the team of what I was previously doing. She said to me, I'm a bit worried because you're so nice. Like, how are you going to pull people up? Like, how are you going to fire someone if you need to? Like, you're just so nice to everyone. Um, and I was kind of just like, I see your point, but let me let me work in this way where I work relationally with my like employees rather than dictating them and we'll see kind of what works more authentically and what works best. Mm. However, that being said, and I, I definitely needed to learn previously about how I kind of pull someone up on something because when I was having to address a concern with someone, an employee, I'd be so gentle about it. Mm. I'd be like, I know you're going through all these things at home and I know you're like, this is happening and I know like that's really tough. It makes sense why you didn't do A, B and C, like it's okay. But do you think like going forward, like maybe we could, now I just have to be a little bit more direct because it's also hard for people to understand when I'm talking about something for 40 minutes just to make them feel okay and they were like, 
So let's just summarize it in a sentence. And I'll mm. be like, oh, just do better in your reports. Like I could have just said that. Mm. Um, and here's how we can do it. Let's make a plan. So it is something can be a disservice to yourself mm. to be a people pleaser, but also to others. Yeah, it's a skill to, to speak with brevity and directly. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's really important that if you're the type of person that like I know for myself that I often say yes to people or taking people under my wing and really helping people that need help and constantly doing it like, oh, you need to be driven here. I'll do that like kind of thing. But it's something that I'm not doing out of obligation or because I'm like, I don't want to say no. I usually do it because I enjoy it. And that gives me a lot of energy and fulfillment. Whereas for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I don't want to do this. I just don't want to say no and come across as rude. So you need to differentiate it. Like, is this something that is kind of bringing you up or is it something that is stressing you and bringing you down or draining you or burning you out? Then it's not it's not good to add yeah. that to your life and just let everyone and do everything for everyone. And it's also not helpful. Healthy boundaries. For, yeah, exactly. It's not healthy for the other person. Like I used to be the type of person and I still kind of fall into this where I'll do everything for everyone. I'm like, you have an issue. I won't tell you the solution. I'll fix it for you and I'll mm. go out and do everything. I'll find your therapist. I'll find you this. I'll do this. Like I'll find you com- accommodation, everything. But then it wasn't until I was like, I guess recently after like years thinking they never learned that for themselves. Mm. Um, and it's not helpful to them just to have someone do everything for them like a mom because it's like those parents that just – cook, clean, do everything, and then they go out into the wild and they have no idea how to live independently. Yeah, and and like I said, um, people will respect you a lot less. Yeah. They'll, even if they aren't consciously aware of it, they'll realize they can walk over you. So when they uh, might be stressed or feeling like they could use a favor, you'll be the first person to call. And even if they know they can maybe do something themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you need to make that... Uh, it should just come naturally, I think, with someone who has so, maybe not high self-worth but a moderate level of self-worth, that behavior comes naturally. I think people who are putting it on also come across as insecure or mm, passive. not fully confident within who they are. Yeah, yeah. Because coming back to something we spoke about i can't remember if it was the last podcast or the podcast before but the you know the bad bitch or the the uh guy who takes a lot of pride in Mm. in being the boss Mm. i just tell people what to do i don't care what they think well both of those archetypes i think are people who maybe previously let people walk over them a lot and are now overcompensating Mm. and that's something i don't on a personal level i don't respect that either yeah, yeah, and and also people that ask you to do things for them, it's likely they're like that with everyone, and you just got to say no. Like I know someone, bless her soul, she's a lovely person, but she'll literally just be like, Eliza, do you think that you could um, just like write this 12-page essay for me for my uni? Like I just – could you just do that? That's just how she is. <laughs> yeah, and I'll be like – first of all, I was like, yeah, right, I'm, yeah, I'm just uni. 12 I'm, pages, I'm sure. good at studying and whatever essays. Yeah, Gosh. Yeah, cool. But now I'm like, girl, write your own fucking essay. Like, <laughs> But yeah. that's because we have that kind of humor in our friendship. But some people are just like that. They just ask people. And you shouldn't even make excuses, which is something I'm trying to work on as well because I'll often mm. say no to something but, say, but, but add uh, a little disclaimer 
oh, I would love to do it, but I'm busy at the moment. No, I just don't. No, I'm not doing that. I need to get better at yeah, just, oh just being firm and direct like that. And that is not something I've yet overcome. So chronic at sending an essay when I bail on someone because it's it's. Well, I'm the same. It's, it, it's, I, it alleviates it's my tough. own guilt to yeah, explain it. But we shouldn't like, be feeling guilty yeah, about that. Exactly. It's not about mollifying their yeah. frustration. It's about just being yeah. honest and yeah. being forthright. So if someone does ask you to do something that's just completely out of the ordinary. You don't need to say, oh, look, I'd love to, but there's a lot of things going on or I'm mm-hmm. busy at the moment. You just say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't do that. You can say sorry, but. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's something I'm working on as well. And that's not necessarily related strictly to meaningful conversation, but I suppose this is all just broadly touching on just conversational skills in general. And I think it should be noted that when – Neil and I the podcasting that we're not reflecting I guess the skills that we're talking about of meaningful relationships because we can't like I can't delve into everything you say otherwise our podcast will be seven hours like us podcasting is sharing points conversations debates back and forth like that whereas if we were talking about it and you were saying like oh like I used to be um you know a people pleaser and the cameras are off We'd probably be talking about that for ages and I'd be like, oh, True. like what, what did this look like or what did that happen kind of thing and what would you do? Yeah. Um, but so don't try to mimic our conversations, I guess, skills that we have on this podcast because we do say like, oh, this happened to you, that happened to me too, and then share our stories. So it may look like it's contradictory, but it's different sure. setting. Yeah, this is a different format. Yeah. I mean, I still think you could probably take a certain few pointers from the way we are. Uh, yeah. Converse. Well, people always comment on that as well to they? me. I always get messages. I had a message oh, yesterday saying, um, uh, thank you for your podcast. I love your and Neil's banter and I love the way you guys talk to each other. And oh, I was nice. like, that's nice. Yeah, and that's it's sweet. interesting because I also get into so many DMs or deep and meaningfuls with, <laughs> with people, people that listen to yeah, people on Instagram that listen to this podcast will message me about something and then we'll just end up in this like really fucking deep conversation for like two hours and then we'll be like, that was cool. And then we don't speak again. Like we're not friends. We don't know each other. But two hours? Sometimes. We're DMing people for two hours. Wow. It's um Sometimes it just happens. So that being said, I'm sorry if I don't reply to people, but I get really drained from social media really fast. Well, like, well there you go. See, you just yeah. you don't need to say, I'm sorry, I get drained. You say, it's not my responsibility to reply to everyone who messages me on social media. It's not. Thank you. Yeah. That's you're not. Correct. Yeah. You're not an open book like that. Look. I'm sure she'll do her best to respond to you if you if you respond to if you uh, message her. But if you're taking it personally, or if you're taking offense to a, a social media figure who is not responding to your DM, that's on you. Yeah, we get a lot. <laughs> and I have two Instagram accounts, so like most of my messages are on my personal Instagram, where I'm talking to like my mates. I'm in like 12 bloody group chats with the girls. So mm. that's that's a lot. I yeah. barely look at my other, um, the Eliza Joy Wilson one. I don't look at it much. I'm but... sending memes to all my friends. Yeah. To my girlfriend. Then Neil will send me. Have time. I'll have like the most long, exhausting day coming. And Neil always 
sends me like this 40 minute like videos to watch oh, yeah. <laughs> like articles to it. read yeah. and I'm like I did, I'll respond Podcast. like four days later <laughs> being like oh yeah that was interesting because I didn't have the time or energy that was a good one though so Joe Rogan did a, a recent podcast with a, a lady who's writing a book about testosterone oh I actually didn't want to watch that I forgot great podcast uh delves into a lot of topics that we talk about so I'd strongly recommend that one okay I'll watch it and she's got a book coming out in July called I think it's just called testosterone or tea uh this is definitely something I will read yes we need a hormone a hormone podcast like once although we're like probably the podcast. least um qualified people to talk about hormones but that we know more than probably I'm half of our listeners <laughs> I'm not qualified to talk about any of this or all of it's that, the beauty maybe. of podcasting <laughs> You don't have to be. Yeah, that's true. True, true. You just have to sound authoritative and people listen. Yeah, my friend says that all the time and she's like, Eliza, I swear to God, I could literally just say anything, but because I say it with such conviction, people just believe me. Like she'll just say something weird. Like I was visited by this fairy two days ago and she said to me like, can I have that gum nut? And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. (laughs) Well, that's what Americans do so well. They speak with so much authority. that you can't not believe what they say. (laughs) So the moon is actually the sun. And I'd believe it because (laughs) just say it with a really- It explains a lot why I always get drawn into the conspiracy (laughs) theories. I'm like, shit, that's right. (laughs) We're very, we speak very insecurely, I think. Not actually, boomer Australians don't speak like this, but millennial, and 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 I'd say Australians under the age of forty speak in a way that they sound very affable. They're very lovable, but they can't be taken seriously on certain topics. If you're sp- speaking uh, seriously on an intellectual topic, and you're like, "Oh yeah, it might be a bit like that," and yeah, you know, it's a bit <laughs> like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no one's going to take you seriously. Yeah. So true. Whereas if you listen to some of the older ABC presenters. Uh, from our parents' generation, maybe they don't. They don't speak like that. They still have an Australian accent, but they speak very firmly. You speak like in a way that sounds very intellectual and authoritative. I yeah, think. Well, I've worked on that a lot. Yeah. I didn't naturally speak like that. If you listen to interviews with me from three, four years ago, I did not speak like that at all. Really? Yeah. Interesting. In fact, when I started doing these podcasts, it's something I worked on. Yeah. It is funny how when you you are in certain settings, like I know that when I speak on this podcast, I speak how I speak usually. Mm. and But then when I'm in like a therapeutic setting, I'm like completely different. Um, you wouldn't recognize the way I talk because it's just like I've got my therapist hat on kind of thing. Um, or when you were working with kids or teenagers, it's all different. So it's it's interesting how we kind of mold ourselves to, Definitely. to the situation. Because in Australia, you've got one or, or two options. You either, like, like I was saying, you can sound very authoritative and have conviction or you're a no but then if you do that you're a wanker (laughs) yeah (laughs) this guy fucking wanker yeah so you gotta you gotta choose one or the other i'm happy to be a wanker but i'd rather sound like i know what i'm talking about facts yeah (laughs) well we're all wankers aren't we well i wasn't for a while (laughs) (laughs) i was just gonna say (laughs) actually if anyone's not a wanker it's me Oh. Oh, right now I am. I came across yeah. a, a video. I was watching a, um, a video today on it. It was like this guy had done a video and it's how meditation changed my life in 400 days. And mm. I really liked his video on it. So I clicked on his profile and then it was like all these before and after this on YouTube, like before and after videos of 
semen retention. And like one of them is like just looking like and a normal guy, and the other one he's like fully jacked and ripped, and he's like ninety days of semen retention. And I was like, oh, I just probably won't subscribe anymore. I I wonder if that's just a placebo because I don't think there's anything. Yeah. There's there's some study I read that says if you haven't um, relieved yourself for seven days, there's a spike in your testosterone, but then it goes back down again. So I think. What happens is because you so you use all that sexual energy to then work out a lot. Yeah. But it's not actually the semen retention. I don't well, know. Maybe well, there's some yeah, study there's that can so confirm many, that. A lot of like, well, not a lot, but there is a couple of tantric sex beliefs that says that actually you can have sex, but you shouldn't. You should only come once every seven days to have the okay. most like orgasmic, close tantric experience. Well, that does make sense because if, if just like with anything, the utility will decrease if. You have the more relief, of it. yeah. So if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever experienced this now that you've claimed self-claimed below average lover, but so- <laughs> no, 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 inconsistent. <laughs> okay, sorry. Maybe the average is out to slightly below average, but my good day is oh, watch out. <laughs> on a good day, well, maybe on a good day then. Sometimes women, because women typically get off less, orgasm less, things like that. But sometimes when you may have seen a woman has an orgasm, especially like if it's during sex, that she might like- Wait, 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 women orgasm? (laughs) I know, it's a myth. No. Um, She might cry afterwards, like sometimes, because it's like this like relief build up of just like, I've just let go of everything I was holding onto. Not like, not a sobbing, like you should ask if your girlfriend's crying after sex or your sexual partner, you shouldn't just assume that you've had uh, given her a mind-blowing orgasm. You should ask her about it. But sometimes that happens. <laughs> She's crying based on how She's disappointed like, she is. And, and you're and like, I know like, I rocked oh, your yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I do. I don't think I've ever had a woman cry after sex. I've definitely seen some girls in a very euphoric state. Yeah. I don't, uh, to my recollection, there hasn't been any sobbing. Not sobbing. There's definitely, it it, it it clearly looks like there's an overwhelming sense of almost release or. Yeah. I mean, my friend posted it in our girls group chat saying like she had, she's only been dating this guy for a few weeks and she, they had sex and she just had the best organism of her life. And she was like, I couldn't help myself. I like cried afterwards, but I was like in a really good mood. And then every girl was like, girl, I've done that after like a crazy good orgasm. Like oh, I've cried. I have too as well. Like it was weird. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I felt like a thousand times. Oh no. Damn. Better. I, I don't think I've ever. <sighs> I've made girls cry. Next time, just not, be like, after you, after you finish, just be like, if well, you want to cry. <laughs> from emotional things, not from oh, Neil. anything dark. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll report back if I ever. Uh, <laughs> Please do. <laughs> if my uh, sex results in crying. I'd be pretty but dehydrated by the end of these <laughs> sessions and if you're crying and hopefully... <laughs> Don't try and make you know. her cry, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, once a girl got teary, but that was because it was, like, very, very rough. <laughs> and then she actually said stop. Jesus Christ. But that um, that was not from the orgasm. No, you probably just bruised her cervix so much. Maybe. Or the vaginal wall, if we don't get that far. But some and- cervixes are very low. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I hope this has been informative for you. 
I love the way we end these. <laughs> they always end on such a weird note <laughs> every time. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. That's why they love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. I um, hope you enjoyed our seemingly meaningful conversation about meaningful conversations. <laughs> uh, please follow and subscribe if you haven't already. Share the podcast. Even if you just share it on your Instagram store, it helps us out a lot. neilkahaka.com slash podcast. If you want to ask a question, neilkahaka.com slash Tickets if you live in Sydney and want to see me live, watch Arrested by Friendly Geordies and follow Eliza on Instagram at Eliza Joy Wilson. We'll see you next time. See you next week. For number 50. Woo!